I got a box because you know no one knows what's in it. Thanks. So this is a bit taller. Um, so yeah, I remember when I first read that passage that Jonah read, I had no idea what was going on. So let's just eat peaches. That's what I say. Yeah. Um, I don't actually have peaches though. I'm gonna look in my pantry. I have corn and mangoes. Who wants to eat some corn and mangoes? Yeah, you, you, you two come up. Come on. Woo. I don't have mustard. Lady, um, Alright, well, let's open it over here in case it spills. So you get to eat some good mangoes. Have, have a eat. What? Oh no, what's in your can? He's got the mangoes and she's got the corn. Oh, well. Um, so you can either go eat them or just throw them in the bin, really. You share them. That smells so bad. So you can take that and put it in the bin for me. There we go. <laughs> cool. Wow, that was like a twist. No one saw that happen. Cool. You can thank you for that song. Yeah, I know. I actually switched that. It's not like Woolworths just suck at their packaging. <laughs> oh, got, got corn and cinnamon goes. So, you might be thinking, how does that relate to this talk? It actually does. Because just as the labels were wrong, it's not on the outside that mattered, but the inside, we'll see that God doesn't care what's on the outside. He wants what's on the inside. So, let's get into it. All right. That's what my talk's called as well. It's what's the inside that counts, not the outside. That's what your mum would say to you as well, you know. It doesn't matter what you look like. You're sweet. Um, well, mum's right, according to this. Cool. So, we will open up. You already opened to Romans. I don't even need to. I've got the... Never mind. Um, so, in verses, verses 17 to 20, we're going to explain that God does not want externals alone. So if you have a look in verses 17 to 20, Paul is going to list a bunch of advantages that the Jews of the first century thought they had over the Gentiles. So we're going to target three main things, and as I read them, I'll just call it out. So verse 17 says, Now you, if you call yourself a Jew. So there you go, that's one thing. The Jews thought, I'm a Jew, I'm better than everyone else. So that's one thing they held to. And the next one, if you rely on the law and boast in God, if you know his will and approve of what is superior because you're instructed by the law, that's the second thing they had, the law. They thought they were better than everyone else in, to some extent because they, they knew the law. And then verse 19, the final one, if you are convinced that you are a guide for the blind, a light to those who are in the dark, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of little children, because you have the law, the embodiment of the knowledge and truth. So that's works. So three things the Jews had their insurance in was their title of being a Jew, their works, and knowing the law. Um, but Paul is going to show them that this is meaningless unless they have the inner reality of obedience. So as we read on in verses 21 to 22, Paul is asking him a series of rhetorical questions because this is a letter and they can't actually reply to them. He's saying things like, 21, You then who teach others, do you teach yourself? No. You who preach against stealing, do you steal? You who say that people should not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? So Paul is trying to show the Jews that they're not living up to the standards of the law. 
Um, on one hand, they pride themselves in being a Jew, having the law, doing all this good stuff like teaching people. But on the other hand, they're not practicing what they preach. They're being hypocritical. But here comes the clincher. Verse 23 in your NIVs will be written as a question. But actually in the original Greek, it's a statement. There's no like question mark or Greek question mark thing. So it should be translated more effectively as verse 23. You who boast in the law, dishonor God by breaking the law. And if you have an ESV, it should say that. But what Paul is saying here is that even though the Jews boast and pride themselves in the law, because they're not obeying it completely, they actually dishonor God. And that's pretty hectic. So on the screen, I want you to meet someone. You've got a picture. This guy is Judge Jude. He's kind of related to Judge Judy. But I just think it's the funniest judge ever. I don't know. If they, no one else? I saw it and I was laughing for so long. He just, he's just so... Yeah. So Judge Jude... He's a judge. He knows the law of all the countries in the world because that's all he reads, all the laws, and he is a judge. So every week he would just judge dozens of court cases and tell people what they're doing wrong and that they're going to go to jail. Um, so he thinks he's pretty good, and everyone looks at him and goes, man, Judge Jude is so much better than Judge Judy because of his wig. Um, so it's a, it's a wig. <laughs> pretty sick hair. No, no wonder he's really depressed. He's got this like long hair. Um, so one day, Judge Jude is in court and someone comes up who robbed a bank. And he's like, you robbed a bank. Don't do it. You're going to jail because you robbed a bank. That's pretty standard judge stuff, or as Jonah would say, that's textbook judge. So let's say the next day after Judge Jude told, it's really hard to say Judge Jude. After Judge Jude told people not to rob a bank, he just went out and decided to rob a bank himself and everyone found out because he uploaded a video onto Facebook. Um, I know, he was just kind of bragging. So he did that, and then everyone was kind of like, well, this guy's a judge, told us not to rob a bank, yet he's doing it himself. It doesn't matter that he is a judge or that he knows he shouldn't do it. He did it. So he actually breaks the law and is guilty and dishonors the whole judge club. as a judge association. I'm going to turn that amp off. Yeah. No, it wasn't, it wasn't barrel for once. Uh, I'm joking, I'm joking. Um, so yeah, so what I'm trying to say is it doesn't matter who you are, what you know, what you do. What really matters is how you live your life, and more importantly, what's on the inside. So now we're going to take a step further and have a look in verse 24. This is where Paul pretty much punches the Jews in the face, as much as he can in a letter. Um, verse 24 says, As it is written, God's name is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. Look at that. That's pretty hectic. I don't know about you, but if someone came up to me and said that because of how you live, Luke, God's name is blasphemed to the whole world. That's pretty insulting. He's pretty much saying simply that you are a disgrace to God's name to the rest of the world because of how you live. If someone said that to you, how would you respond? Yeah, you might punch them in the face for that. Um, so what does God actually want? That's my next point, which is God requires... Oh, it's not on the screen yet. I'll just read it. God requires an inward obedience. There we go. So we've looked at some external things that all the Jews held their assurance in, these actions that they did, but without complete obedience, it doesn't go well with pleasing God. He actually gets dishonored to the whole world. So we're going to read verse 25, which says, Circumcision has value if you observe the law. But if you break the law, you have become as though you have not been circumcised. So I'm pretty sure everyone knows what that is. Does anyone not know what it means? Good. That's good. Uh, whew. So 
pretty much in the Jewish context, it was a physical sign that, that happened when a man was like, I'm going to fully obey God and follow him. It was a sign that showed that he was going to be fully obedient. And Jews actually believed then that no Jewish person who is circumcised would go to hell. That's just wrong, if you're wondering. Um, so yeah, it, it's, it's kind of useless if they were circumcised, but then there's no inward change. It's just kind of a useless, painful thing to happen. Um, it's like me getting a scooter, because scooters are cool. You think they're not cool, but they really are cool. So it's like me getting my scooter and getting like a Mercedes-Benz logo, which looks like that. And if you still don't know what it is, girls, it's a thing that goes on the front of a car, which tells people what kind of car it is. And Mercedes are the good cars. So it's like me putting it on my scooter and just kind of scooting around, telling everyone, do you like my Mercedes-Benz? It's so cool. I've got a Mercedes-Benz. People just be like, you're an idiot. You don't have a Mercedes-Benz. So it doesn't matter that I got this sign of having a Mercedes-Benz on my scooter. It's, it's not a Mercedes. The only way that sign would be useful if I got my scooter and like traded it for a Mercedes-Benz, but no one would do that. So it's a useless sign is what I'm trying to tell you. And scooters are cool, like Mercedes are cool. So we're going to read verse 25 again. Circumcision has value if you observe the law, but if you break the law, you have become as though you had not been circumcised. So it only has value if you observe the law. If you break the law, it doesn't mean anything. That can be said about all the externals we looked at before that the Jews found their assurance in. It doesn't matter what they call themselves, what you know, what you do. If you break the law, it counts as nothing. God wants a complete obedience that comes from an inside reality. So in verse 26, it says, So then, if those who are not circumcised keep the law's requirements, will they not be regarded as though they were circumcised? Here Paul is saying that if someone has the inner reality and keeps the law, then that's all that counts. You don't actually need the sign of circumcision or any other external thing. You just need to be completely obedient. Wow, I got like a pull of muscle in my toe. I can't even feel it. It's weird. That's right. In case you're wondering. I think I just got four toes now. All right. Anyway, so you just need to be obedient, and that's pretty good. I can be completely obedient, can't I? No, you can't. None of you can. You can want to, you can really want to, but you really can't obey the entire law's requirements because James 2.10 says, you don't have to turn there, you can trust me. It's written on this page. It says, whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. So I'm sure all of us have done one thing wrong. I think. Cool. I think so. Um, so we have seen that externals are not enough to be saved, but rather an obedience that comes from an inner reality but none of us can do that. We have all broken the law, and we are just as screwed as the Gentiles and the Jews. Everyone is screwed. That's not a good thing. It's pretty bad, if you haven't caught on. So, remember the cans I used at the beginning? How can you forget? That was so fun. I wish they were peaches, though. They're so much better than mangoes. Um, so, in, today we use labels to tell people what's inside something. So, as we had a jar or can said mangoes, you all go, ah, there's mangoes inside. But we saw that it didn't actually indicate what was inside. So it didn't matter what was on there. If the label says mangoes, or if the label doesn't say mangoes, no, wait, hang on, stop. If the label says mangoes, but there's no mangoes in there, it doesn't matter. There's not going to be mangoes. You can be like, the label says mangoes, these are mangoes. They were not mangoes. 
we got there. So the label is not only worthless, but it's misleading for those poor old ladies who can't tell the difference between mangoes and corn. Terrible dish. I don't know what you'd make with mangoes and corn. But yeah, so the Jews, the same way, put the emphasis on their labels, how they live their life, going, I'm a mango. Everyone's like, dude, you're corn. <laughs> so the talk would actually be called, be mangoes, not corn. Um, so Paul's point is that when you disobey the law, that brings about God's wrath. And perfect obedience, hypothetically, brings salvation. But you can't be perfectly obedient. So he's just pretty much saying, you're all screwed. No one can obey the law. So yeah, if you feel helpless, that's a good thing. You need to feel helpless like right now. Like, man, I suck. I'm just corn. Can't do anything. We should feel like that. And we should feel helpless before God because... It's crazy that he hasn't just killed us now. He could just go, die, you disobey the law. But he's kept us alive and given us time so that we can actually find a way to be saved through his son, Jesus. But before we get to Jesus, I'm going to just apply some of what we've said. So, all of us need to think about external things that we might cling to. We may not realize that we're putting our assurance in the wrong things. You might be idolizing external things like serving or just reading the Bible rather than focusing on God first. And externals are good, but if you lose sight on the God that you're trying to focus on, then it's just meaningless. And knowing the Bible isn't the same as knowing God. Because I've got heaps of atheist friends who come up to me and just talk about the Bible. And they probably, some of them, know more about the Bible than you guys do. But that doesn't make them a Christian. Just as if, you know, he's about space, you're not an astronaut. But if you want to be, that's pretty cool. I want to have an astronaut friend. I've got a mate as an astronaut. Beat that. You're like, can't beat that. Hmm? Oh, out of this world. That's funny. But yeah. <laughs> it was funny. But now we're going to back into the serious mood. It's not who you are. It's not what you know. It's not what you do, because all those things can be fake. You can pretend that you're like an astronaut if you really want to, but it doesn't mean you are. Just because you go to church, have a Christian family, or your Facebook tells everyone else that you're a Christian, doesn't mean that you are a Christian. So in Romans 1, it showed us that every single person in the world is without excuse. Romans 1 and 2 then showed us that every single person is just as guilty and helpless under the law, no matter who they are. So for those of you who are wrestling through this, I implore you to consider Christ, who is the one and only way to be saved. Jesus is the only answer, which brings me to my final point, new heart through the Spirit. I was going to call it a whole new heart, but then it sounded like a whole new world from Disney, and I just started singing it. So if you want to write down a whole new heart, it's cool. Um, so yeah, so God doesn't want our externals. He wants obedience but we can't be obedient on our own. It's like a conundrum, paradox, problem. problem. So to be obedient, we need a new heart. But how do we get a new heart? Let's have a look. Verses 28 and 29 say, A person is not a Jew who is one outwardly, nor is circumcision merely outward and physical. No. A person is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is circumcision of the heart by the Spirit, not by the written law. Such as a person's praise is not from other people, but from God. So, these two verses pull out the whole point of the passage, that it isn't a matter of outward sign, but inward change, and we need our hearts to be circumcised. But what does that even mean? 
Who knows? No, we do know. I'll show you. So we're going to have a look and see what the Old Testament says about it. There's quite a few verses. I'll read out the first one, and then you can turn to the next one. So Deuteronomy 10.16 says, <clears throat> Circumcise your hearts, therefore, and do not be stiff-necked any longer. So this concept isn't new. God in the Old Testament wanted his people to circumcise their hearts. But how do we do that? Let's turn to Ezekiel 36. I don't know how hard that is to find. It's kind of here. That's where it is. And we're going to read from verse 25. We'll just, we'll just have a wait. Oh, this is the wrong page. Ezekiel chapter 36, and we'll be reading verses 25 to 27. And it says, <clears throat> I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you will become clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. Big theme in those three verses. Three verses? Yeah. Big theme in those three verses is God is saying, I will do this. 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 Nothing that you're going to do. So it turns out, how do we get an inner heart? We don't actually really do anything. God does it. And how does he transform our heart with a new spirit? Through accepting Jesus Christ. Through Jesus' death and resurrection. And when we accept and believe in him and repent of our sin, then we become Christians and then we get the spirit which can transform our hearts. So then we are right in God's eyes. But I'm not, I'm not saying that Jesus gives us a new heart so that we can obey the law, so that when we obey the law, then we're saved. That's wrong. And probably that was too confusing. So obviously it's wrong because no one understood what that meant. So pretty much it's we have faith in Christ. That saves us. And then we can do good. Get it? I hope so. Um, so yeah, we're saved by faith alone. This is my last page. So it doesn't matter about the outside, but rather the inside. God wants the inside to be changed. So I want to encourage you guys here who call yourselves Christians, if you have accepted Christ, then you have a new heart, a heart that is filled with the Spirit. And you gain the Spirit the moment you acquire your salvation through Christ. Know that you can have assurance in your faith in Christ that you can, and you can seek to do good and fight sin in your life. Not because that's how you get saved, but because once you're saved, that is something we do out of gratitude. And you will continue to stuff up because no one's perfect. But luckily, that is not what saves us. Ah, uh, where am I? So yeah. And to the guys who are still wrestling... Ooh, I almost lost the page. To the guys who are still wrestling with this stuff, what are you trusting in for your eternal salvation? Or to put it more accurately, in whom are you trusting to get to heaven? Because salvation isn't a what, it's a who. Accept Christ as your Lord and Saviour through Jesus alone. He's the only way we can have a right standing with God. And he graciously gives that gift to anyone who seeks, repents, and believes. So it's faith alone and Christ alone. Bow your heads with me as I pray. Father, we thank you for graciously giving us your word that we are able to look into that and see how we can be saved. And it's not a matter of keeping the laws because you do require us to keep the laws perfectly. But instead, through your Son, we can have salvation. And I pray that um, you continue to work in us, Lord, so that we can um, continue to fight sin and grow and do your will, Lord. And I pray for those who are still wrestling through this stuff that you'll be able to reveal to them 
your, your son. In your name we pray. Amen.